today we are talking to John Romero, and you are mainly known for Doom and a lot of other games. And um, I have to admit, personally, the first time I heard your name was in connection with Commander Keen, because um, I, I was too young back in the days to uh, first play Doom. And so my first game from you was actually Command Keen. You know, it was. Um, I think it was like um, the first one that wasn't EGA graphic. Was it? Was it Goodbye Galaxy with the trees in the background? Exactly, that was the yeah. one. Right. Yeah. So EGA let's start. Graphics. Pardon? It was EGA graphics. Oh, it was okay. It's sixteen color. Yeah. Yeah, we never made a VGA version of Keen. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I didn't know that. It it looked, despite that, pretty colorful to me. Probably good graphic and, and so Adrian, on. Yeah, Adrian was really great. <laughs> so, um, how did you actually start into video games? I've read that um, it was in um, 78, so like 40 years ago. Space, 79. Space Invaders. 1979. Okay. Yeah, that's why I started programming in 1979, but I played video games, you know, pretty much all through the 70s. I think starting in 74, uh, when Pong came out, and then the uh, home consoles of Pong came out, and then arcade games started happening. You know, arcades started springing up around 1976, and I used to go uh, to arcades back when there were only pinball machines. So I played a lot of pinball, and then uh, the very first electromechanical games came in just before video games. And so I played electromechanical games until finally video games like Space Invaders came came up, you know, plus a bunch of X-City games. And that is how you got the idea to become a game designer. Yeah, I just love games. And... Um, I went to um, the university, the, the, the college in my town in 1979. I went there uh, because I found out that I could play games for free. It didn't take a quarter to play because it was on a computer. So I started playing these games on the computer, and I realized that the students that were also in this computer lab at the college, they were actually typing in code and making programs, and the games I was making that I was playing were made with the same kind of stuff that these students were, were typing in. So I just wanted to learn the same stuff that they were learning so I could make my own games. So I started asking the students what they were typing in, and I started to experiment with it and started making adventure games. But um, I have also read that there were a couple of 64 games that you made that were never actually be released and they were folded, and you did it all in vain. One example I've read was Nebulos, which is called Tower Toppler in the USA. <laughs> yeah, that was one game. I've made probably at least 40 games that haven't been released. So much! Yeah. How did that yeah, I've happen? Made, I've made a ton of games. Uh, if you look at Moby games, my credits are, you know, I think 110 games on Moby, and, um, and I have... I have, you know, 40 that, that aren't even on that list because I didn't, they never got released for various reasons like Tower Toppler. Hmm. But um, you, you worked, you did then your own company after working for Origin 
and you did um, Might and Magic 2, right? Yep, <clears throat> that was that was my second my second game company. Uh, it was called Inside Out Software, and I started that after I left Origin in 1988. Uh, then in 1989, I started another company called Ideas from the Deep with my friend uh, my friend Lane, and we. Uh, We both, I hired him on at Inside Out, and we were only there for about nine months before the 8-bit uh, industry started to crash. So my game got canceled, so I left my own company. I let my co-founder just take over the company because there's no money coming in from that project to pay for me. And so he was still on projects, and we had other people that were on other projects there. But for me, I was like, I need to get out of 8-bit. It's dying, and I need to learn the PC. So I, that's when I started uh, Ideas from the Deep with Lane, and we, we wrote and published probably about five games with that company, and uh, at the same time, uh, we got a job at Softdisk in 1989. Yeah, I've, I've heard about that um, period because you also worked with Scott Miller from, from Apogee. 3D, uh, yeah, 3D Realms, Apogee, right? Because he told me that um, when you published games for uh, for its software, um, you didn't know how to publish them, and he 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 told you use our shareware system. Well, yeah, he, what he wanted was, I mean, Scott got in touch with me when I was at Softdisk, and what he wanted me to do was take a game I'd made called Pyramids of Egypt, and that game had about a hundred levels in it. And what he wanted was for me to make another Pyramids of Egypt type game with different levels that Apogee could publish. And I told him, um, I'd rather make a new game because that game is garbage compared to what we're making right now. And what we were making right then was uh, Super Mario Brothers with the smooth scrolling stuff. So I showed him what we were working on and he went, oh my God, you know. <laughs> We, will you make a game? I don't care what it is. Just like tell you know, will you make a game? And it has to be a trilogy. So uh, we came up with an idea. Mostly Tom Hall came up with this idea uh, for Commander Keen, and we uh, basically read the paragraph of for Commander. Sent sent it to him in the mail, actually. You know, through the actual mail system, um, <clears throat> sent him a letter saying this is the idea that we have. We think it would be really cool to make a trilogy, you know, of these of, of Commander Keen. So he said, "That's it. Let's do it." And he gave us two thousand dollars as a down kind of a, a, an advance, and he sent us pizza money every weekend. So like a hundred bucks for pizza money every Friday, and because he knew that we were working on the game at night and all weekend for about two and a half months. So we made all three Commander Keens in two and a half months in our spare time. And then it was published on December 14th of 1990 through Apogee. Nice. Um, interesting thing is you are mo mostly known actually for your uh, third per uh, first person shooter like, you know, um, Wolfenstein 3D, Doom and so on. And Wolfenstein 3D is actually a successor I've read from Wolfenstein, which is from 1980, which was from Muse Software. 1981. Yeah, 90, okay. And, um, well, and um, it was actually known for the German, German speech synthesis. Yeah. 
And yeah. um, it's funny because many of my American friends, they learned German from uh, Wolfenstein 3D, you know, <laughs> Guten Tag, you know, yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so I wonder how, how did that actually happen that you did Wolfenstein 3D, a successor of a game which company was distinct? I mean, Mu Software didn't, didn't survive very long. Um, I had a conversation with John F. Kutcher and he told me that after he released um, Space Taxi, the company was, um, well, on, on bid because they closed down and were bankrupt. So weren't you kind of scared to make a successor to a game of a company that went bankrupt? No, no. I mean, what, what we did was we were coming up with an idea for a game. And this is probably at 10 o'clock at night. And <clears throat> we basically decided we're not making any more Commander Keens. That's it. Like, we're, we were working on Keen 7. And we made a prototype of Keen 7 in VGA with parallax scrolling and everything. <clears throat> and finally just went, you know what? Forget it. Catacomb 3D could be made so much better than what it was. And we're just tired of making years, two years of Commander Keen. Like, we want to we make a, a different game that's 3D. So um, <clears throat> there was some idea, kind of th uh, some other idea thrown around that I thought was just like bad, horrible, basic idea that wouldn't be interesting. And then immediately in my, my head, I don't know why, but it just like popped in. And I said, why don't we do... Wolfenstein, Castle Wolfenstein. Like, we could do it in 3D. It'd be unbelievable. And Tom and John uh, both went, wow, yeah. Like, immediately, we all agreed because we all loved Castle Wolfenstein. We played that game so much. It was really the first stealth <laughs> game ever made. And, uh, and, and we, we just went, well, then we're going to do it. And if we can't call it Wolfenstein, we'll call it a different name. But we're making Castle Wolfenstein spiritual successor and uh in what was we call it <clears throat> well castle wolfenstein was number one beyond castle wolfenstein was number two and our wolfenstein was gonna be number three but it's also in 3d which is why we called it 3d because it's actually number three just like catacombs 3d was the third catacombs game it was also 3d so we called it catacombs 3-d um, we had the dash in there as the, like, no one would get it, but that was like the joke. It was like, normally we wouldn't have the dash. It would use just the 3D, but it was Catacomb 3D, just like <laughs> Wolfenstein 3D. Um, and uh, while we're making Wolfenstein, we hired Jay Wilbur. Uh, he started with the company in um, April 1st of 1992, and his first job was see if he can get the rights to Wolfenstein, because we can't think of a better name for this game. We have a bunch of other names. Nothing is as cool as Wolfenstein. So um, he found the person that held the rights in Baltimore, Maryland, and bought the rights from this woman for like five thousand bucks. And then we owned the, the the copyright of for the original Wolfenstein, so we could just call it Wolfenstein, no problem. Um, also, you worked on the sound side with famous people together, like Bobby Prince, who did this this awesome. OPL2 sounds on the AdLib sound card. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Bobby was um, a MIDI composer that Scott Miller already knew. So Scott introduced us. And Bobby Prince was 
um, he was a lawyer for his whole career. And he decided that, you know, he, he loved music. It was a hobby. He loved jazz. And he wanted to do it full time, see if he could do that. And so he basically learned MIDI, learned general MIDI, learned everything about the instrument list and, and all that. <clears throat> Found, you know, a cakewalk, I think it was called. You know, like these programs back in the day that you could do MIDI tracking. And uh, he just got really good really fast because he's a real smart guy. And... <clears throat> And so we started working with him on Commander Keen. And uh, I think the first song that he made for us was um, it's a song called Too Hot. And it was used in, uh, what was it used in? Uh, well, we, we used it in Commander Keen 4, for sure. He was really fun to, to work with, you know. He did a lot of music for Commander Keen, like tons of it. And we liked all the stuff he made, you know, we just assigned, I, I'm the one who de dealt with all the music and sound effects stuff. So I was the one to assign it to the levels that it was supposed to go in and all that. Um, and uh, so we, we had a really good working relationship. And he did a really great job on Doom, Doom 2. Uh, well, Wolfenstein, which is funny because there's a lot of jazz music in Wolfenstein. <laughs> Even though he did the really cool music that was in there, um, the military-type theme stuff. But he also threw some jazzy military stuff in there, too. So did you did you design the levels for Doom and so for, for all your games? Also, in, um, in retrospective, um, based on the music you had? Or did you tell him what kind of music you need and then you would design your levels what was the normal way to go for for designing well, levels well for him uh it was because we made our game so fast there was no time for him to see our levels and make a song for it okay. um, because there wasn't an internet back then so there was no way to like send stuff quickly and have him get feedback and all that so basically all we told him was This game is about blowing away Nazis in a castle that you're escaping. You're an American. It's a patriotic game. That's what this is all about. All the music that you make needs to be in that kind of frame of mind. And that's it. And then with, uh, with Commander Keen, it was like, you're a kid. You're zapping stuff. You know, well, you're just like knocking them out. You're not killing anything. But you're just zapping stuff. You're popping, bouncing around on a pogo stick. It's a platformer game. It's like Mario for the PC. And it's all just fun, lighthearted stuff. So do that. And then with Doom, it was heavy metal. This is the kind of music that we want. Sent him a bunch of CDs of the different groups that we really liked. So he knew the style. It's like you're blowing away demons from hell in a space base. <laughs> That's it. He only needed to know what the, what the environment was. So he didn't, he didn't see the levels ever. You know, like with the Commander of Keen games, the, you know, he didn't do music for the first three um yeah i don't think we had music for the first three you had music for the for keen four starting with keen four exactly yes so um so keen four took three months and uh it took three months to make keen four which just at that time felt like forever because <laughs> we made our games in two months during that year in 1991 
But Doom is, for example, is such um, extensive game that you have elevators, which <clears> is something that not a lot of games had, if if ever any game before had that, you know. Um, so how did you design your levels so quick? I mean, with the first-person shooter, you must be careful that um, um, that the player keeps being ent entertained and not, you know, too repetitive. Always the same thing, like killing monsters left and right. Well, um, making Doom uh, design-wise was actually a big challenge because before Doom, any game that had an environment in it had hallways and mazes that were 90-degree walls, 90-degree turns. There was no game example that we'd ever seen that wasn't a 90-degree maze, and this is coming from the 70s. So from the 70s, even Wolfenstein was a bunch of 90-degree turns and walls and hallways and stuff, right? So Doom broke the mold. It broke the, 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 the box that everybody was in for decades with its, its engine that allowed us to have anything that we wanted to create, pretty much, which then was very difficult to take advantage of because we had nothing to look at. We had no examples to base our designs off of. So we had to do tons of experimentation and tons of pushing the boundaries of what that engine could do. Um, and, and just like, well, how do you, like, what kind of gameplay are we putting in here with this kind of design? You know, we don't want realistic looking places because that's not fun. So it needs to be this abstract level design style. And Going through it, we basically are, are designing the experience that we want as players. So we're basically designing, how about this level, you start off in a little room, and as soon as you open the door, shit starts coming at you, you know? <laughs> and so, like, just ideas like that. And so you start making it happen, and you start making it look interesting, and you start coming up with ways of, of starting how, you know, to make a level. I want this to look really cool when this door opens, or when you start out your claustrophobic, and in because you're inside of a dark hallway that then opens up into a big dark area, you know, just all these ideas of what it should look like. So the player has something different every single time they start a level. And um, and each designer that works on the game, like like Tom Hall or Sandy Peterson, has a different way of of creating the tension in the game with the way that monsters are delivered, puzzles are created. Um, Everything spatially that has to do with the level design, whether you're going to have landmarks, whether you're going to have um, gameplay where you're seeing the same location over and over because the level's unlocking or, or the progression just makes, makes you flow through it. All these things we're learning you know, for the first time with Doom. So it was a ton of work to try and define what kind of rules we should have while we're making these like secret like you know secret rooms secret stuff you know like we should have four secrets at least on a level um if a room in doom could have been made in wolfenstein we failed that room needs to be changed you know stuff like that play with lighting play with height play with size scale um just tons of there were so many variables that we could play with just stand out and be really cool and not be just like a really dumb looking experiment. I wonder 
um, did you think back in the day that you would have so in so much influences um, that this game would be ported on so many platforms? I mean, for example, there were a whole industry on the Amiga um, that tried to make Doom-like games and they failed and they just succeeded um, once you decided to make your source code public of Doom. And then they made a game called Gloom. <laughs> yeah. There's a history book that's about the Amiga that basically says when Doom came out, the Amiga died because they couldn't do it. Uh, and everybody rushed out to buy PCs at that point. Um, when we were making the game, uh, we knew we knew that Doom was going to be huge when it came out because we, pres we, we released a press release in January of 93 when we started working on the game, basically saying we believe it's going to be the biggest drop in productivity when it comes out for <laughs> businesses worldwide. It was just like, I can't believe we did that. But we did. We released a press release saying this is the best game in the world when it comes out. Um, we didn't think about um, influence or the future because we're always worried. We're always thinking about the game we're making now. And then when we get to the next game, we're worrying about that game. We're not worrying about influence. We're not worrying about anything else. We just care about what we're making because that's the only thing that matters at that time. Um, so... Uh, we just so we, we were just focused in the moment on what we were making, not thinking about the future stuff. But interestingly, you you announced recently that you are working on a on a successor of Doom, right? Um, so Sigil is this new project, which I is like a spiritual successor to Doom, which is like a, the fifth episode that comes after episode four's um, "Thy Flesh Consumed." was the, the name of that. Um, so this one is called Sigil, and it is uh, takes place in Hell, which I've never done levels in Hell before, so I thought that was going to be fun. I only did base levels in Doom. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it kind of is directly satanic-looking versus Doom's... Doom's imagery was never like directly addressing anything purely evil. There's like the 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 Doom guy in in hell demons trying to pull on him and, and attack him, but it doesn't seem particularly evil. It looks like a bright scene, you know. Um, and I don't think any of Doom's imagery, uh, in at least press wise and box wise, never really tried to make it seem like it was a super satanic hell type thing. So I thought that with this, I could make it look like it, it is pure evil. <laughs> How was it for you to make an um, ego shooter like Doom, for example? Doom is was pretty much forbidden in Europe, um, especially in Germany and so on. It was 18 plus because it's very violent. Um, so that, that didn't bother you. Was that kind of... Um, a good thing for you? Did you did you actually plan to make an 18 plus game? Especially since the media outside is always saying like you know killer games and so on, and they are causing bad influence on gamers, you know, causing mass murders and all that stuff. Yeah, but we didn't care. I mean, we're making the game that we want to make, and there's a rating system for a reason. You know, if a parent doesn't want their kids to play the game, it's the parent's responsibility not to let the game get in the hands of their kids. 
and the stores shouldn't be selling it to anyone who's underage and all that. It's not our it's not our business to say what someone's kids should be playing. You know, there's lots of really violent movies, lots of really violent books. You know, there's a ton of media out there that's far worse than what Doom has. Um, so we didn't, you know, we knew that we were shooting pixelated demons on the screen, and it's it's a cartoon. So we didn't take ourselves seriously. Um, the game is full of dark humor, you know, and uh, and so we never even thought about it. We didn't care whether Germany would ban it or not because we're making a game that we want to play, you know. And if everyone else likes it, then that's cool. <laughs> so will your uh, successor be similar in that humor? Or will it be a totally different thing that nobody ever heard before? Um, I've read in the media that you were quoted to say it will shock people when it's coming out. <laughs> Sigil, well, Sigil is basically a fifth episode of Doom. It's a mod, right? So it still uses the original Doom. It uses all the same monsters. Um, the, the, it's, and it's a free download. So I'm making it like a modern would and releasing it for free for everybody uh, as a celebration of Doom's 25th anniversary. But for people who want to get this a special fan box edition, um, I have the, the game basically runs with a special Buckethead soundtrack that, um, that I've worked with Buckethead on. And the music is unbelievably great. It's absolutely in Doom's um, metal theme of, of, you know, of, of 1993, except, except that this is not MIDI. It's real, real guitar and it sounds really great. And it goes perfectly with the game. There's no lyrics. Um, it's great for, for doing any kind of work where you want some cool music in the background, but, but not annoying music. So it works just perfectly with the levels. They're all chosen specifically for the level that they're supposed to be on. And uh, and all the levels that I made for it, to me, feel like they're better than the two I love that I re uh, released in 2016. So people will be able to see it, you know, in mid February when I upload the wad to the internet for free, um, and all the boxes will be shipped to people with the the deluxe soundtrack and the lithographs and you know the the. CDs and USB floppy disks and T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. Interesting. Um, what made you the decision back then to release the source code of Doom, actually? Because it triggered, as I said, Amiga uh, an, an Amiga conversion, uh, several, you know, re-releases of the game. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we released the source code because we wanted people to just be able to modify the game and because we were not going to spend our time making the game work um, in the, for future operating systems because we're going to always be working on something else new. Um, we wanted to let everybody else. It's in the spirit of modding, right? So here's the source you can actually add to the game now. You don't need to use dehacked to modify the exe through patches. You can actually change it, change the source code, make it work with whatever the latest drivers are on any operating system because it was written with portability in mind, and um, you know do whatever you guys can with it. 
the game the game is the game and this is the engine that it ran on and have fun learning you know great so um, as i said your new project will be released for free do you have anything else planned that will be commercial apart from the special edition uh yeah but i can't tell you what we're working on <laughs> of course yeah i <laughs> thought so. for a long time okay um, game's turning out great nice um so is that kind of a result of that retro hype that is um, now happening since the last seven, eight years? I mean, the new game that you are working on and releasing for free, is that a result of the retro hype? Because now there's also some something like PC retro? No, no, it's it's a, I made it because it's the 25th anniversary of Doom and I wanted to make a mod for the 25th anniversary to celebrate, you know, you can still do new things. And you are still releasing um, levels for the old Doom, actually. Uh, that's what this is. That's what Sigil is. It's levels for the original Doom. Okay, I see. Yep. Okay. Thanks a lot for taking the time. Okay. Thanks Sounds a lot. Great. Bye bye. Thanks. Okay, bye.